1: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
2: And I'm Cameron Conway.
1: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to play a round of which account type should I use?
2: That's right. We're going to take another quick look at all the different kinds of investment types and how you can structure your investments and your savings to have the best tax advantage possible.
1: Yeah, I think what I've been finding recently, I mean, I see it From time to time, it kind of pops up, especially when new people are coming into the office and talking to us for the first time. There's a lot of confusion around the different types of accounts that are available for investments and what to use them for. And I think part of the confusion starts right within the names, like with RRSP accounts. Ooh, retirement is right in the name. I guess I should use that for retirement or tax-free savings accounts Ooh, savings accounts, well, I should use that to save some money. And if you just kind of follow that narrative, you might miss a few nuances that can really help you out. So what we're going to look at today for each type of account is a couple of different things. So we're going to have a few points and we're just going to carry them across the TFSAs, the RSPs, and then the non-registered accounts, which a lot of people say, well, what's a non-registered account?
2: Well, exactly. Yeah. Like we've kind of talked a bit about uh, RRSPs and TFSAs on their own before, but we've never really touched non-registered. And we want to go into detail today on how you can use a non-registered in combination with the other types.
1: That's right. And I think that when you're making the decision, it comes down to a few different factors. So this is what we're using in our little comparison The first thing is understanding the tax implications. Oh, no, I started right off the bat with taxes (laughs) Um, with each different account. And there's really three parts to it. So there's what happens when you deposit money, when you put it in, What happens during each year that you hold that account? So is there going to be reoccurring taxes? Are you going to be getting tax slips from these investments or not? And then finally, what happens when you need the money? So you want to make a withdrawal out of the account. And finally, we'll take you just through a quick few scenarios where we've got a few examples of someone that has a certain situation and they're like, well, what do I do? And uh, we'll kind of take you through our logic on that as well.
2: Okay. So let's start just with a quick refresher on what an RRSP is. It is a registered retirement savings plan. And we're going to start here because this is really the most popular one. Pretty much everyone has heard of it to some degree. You may not understand it, but I'm sure either through a commercial or someone you know, or even through your work, this is something that's come up before.
1: Yeah. And I think the names, I mean, there's so much in a name, right? They should be called something like a tax deferral plan. So you get tax back now, you pay tax later plan or something along the lines of the maximize your tax refunds now plan that uh, maybe that's too much of a mouthful for people.
2: Or it could be the uh, tax is a problem for future me plan.
1: That's actually so true, and you know what? That can be one of the downsides to RSPs that people never think of. the uh, The tax does become a problem for future me because of that tax deferral. So, tax deferral is, in my mind, probably the biggest advantage of having an RSP. And most people think the biggest advantage is that quick little hit of tax that you get back because it's refundable to you and can not only reduce your taxable income but you can get some money back from it but the real advantage is in all of the years of growth within the plan on your investments where you don't have to pay tax but at the end of the day that's offset by having to pay the piper and the money coming out being a hundred percent included in your income
2: Exactly. The government is essentially giving up a dollar of tax today because they're hoping to get about $2 or $2.30 years down the road.
1: Oh, for sure. They're trying to get so the growth that's occurred on this plan is going to be taxable at some point down the road. And an RRSP does not have some of the preferred tax treatment like you would see in a non-registered account with capital gains or with, I mean, even dividends to a certain extent. They have what's called a gross up and also a dividend tax credit that applies.
2: Yeah, RSP, it's a very simple way to look at some of this stuff. You just put it in, get your tax credits, and then you just get taxed at your uh, personal tax rate whenever you start to withdraw, either while it's still an RSP or even when you go
1: into the RIF stage. Yeah, and we've talked about the name of the game before yeah. to not only maximize your tax refund now, but also down the road in retirement to do this effectively to be able to maximize deposits you really need to know where you sit right now in terms of the federal and provincial tax brackets and the percentage of tax that you're paying today and you also need to know if you think that amount during your career is going to be higher than it is right now or if it's going to kind of be the same right so if you're in an industry where you think your your salary is going to be fairly level maybe it's just going to have small little cost of living adjustments versus if maybe you're on a career trajectory where your income is going to be quite a bit higher later versus where it is today and then during retirement There has to be some general understanding and these can come through from retirement income projections of how much money you'll have available to spend each year during retirement because without those two numbers, the tax bracket now and the tax bracket later on withdrawal, you could miss a few details in your planning to use these accounts most effectively. And of course, we've talked about this before. We have something that we call affectionately the never exceed limit kind of thing on your RSP. And that is purely a tax play where there is a point in time where you could be putting too much money into your RSP. And if you do that, you're not necessarily at the same tax advantage as you would have been if you weren't managing it properly.
2: Well, going through all this, I guess you can say the best way or the best time to use this is when you don't need to touch this money again until you retire. You want it somewhere where you can sit and grow and develop, and then you'll just worry about the taxes later. But you have had all those years of deferred growth. So this is like a really long-term investment play, right?
1: That's right. So, if we're going to carry this through, when to use them, it's when you won't need to use the money until you retire, unless you're specifically planning to use one of the programs like the Home Buyers Plan or the Lifelong Learning Plan that allow withdrawals. You would want to make sure that you have other types of investment accounts as well. I know people that only have RRSPs, mostly because that used to be the only game in town. And um, if you need to access money in a pinch, You may not be able to take it out of there without really increasing your taxes or your tax bill, depending on the amount you're withdrawing, because it's added to your taxable income. And also during retirement, when you're wanting to make withdrawals too, you don't want to have to take big lump sums out because again, that can affect government tested benefits.
2: Well, exactly. Let's say you suddenly needed $10,000 for something. So you take $10,000 already for RSP. you've probably got at least a $3,000 tax bill waiting because of that.
1: Depending on your tax bracket, absolutely. But yes, you would have to take that into consideration and just think that income in Canada is stacked, right? So... Taxes are progressive. They increase as your income increases. Basically what that means is an RSP withdrawal is going to be another layer added on top of the other sources of income that you already have.
2: Okay. So let's transition to a TFSA. So kind of under the same example, the good thing about TFSA is you invest in it it get tax-free growth. So like I say, if you needed $10,000 for something, you can take out the 10 grand from TFSA and then don't have to worry about the tax, right?
1: Yeah, TFSAs are the most tax efficient vehicle that we have for our investments out there. And as a result, in a lot of cases, they're my favorite. And I think they're grossly misused or not just misused, but underutilized because people don't really understand the diversity that they can apply to their tax-free savings account.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. We've seen a lot of people, they use tax-free saving accounts and they'll invest in like high interest savings or GICs, which is probably the, the least effective things you can put in there.
1: Like the name, right? So we always say to people, put your highest growth potential assets in. In your tax free savings account. Because when we go back to our three checks for taxation, no, you don't get any money back when you put it into your TFSA, but you do get that huge tax. It's not even tax deferral in this case, it's no tax at all on growth. So no matter how long you have it in there, down the road, you're not getting a tax bill this year, next year, or when you take a withdrawal. And that's huge.
2: Well, exactly. Whether your investments in there are making like 0.25% or 20% is the same taxable at the end of the year.
1: That's right. And unlike the RSPs, where now that growth is going to be lumped on and then taxed at 100% uh, or full income inclusion, this way, it's it's free. Like it it really is tax free. And how many things in life can you say that about, especially these days?
2: So with TFSAs, let's say you've got your max contribution room. You've got about 88000 and change. What would you use this available saving space for?
1: Sure. So I like to align them with people's goals. So essentially, they can be used for short-term and long-term goals. And I think people kind of lose that a little bit. So let me explain a little bit more. If you have a lot of TFSA room available, and let's say you want to complement your retirement savings because you've put some money in the RSP, you've figured out what your never exceed limit is for your RSP, you're hitting that every year, and you know that you want a secondary account during your retirement to draw down on, TFSAs are the perfect place for long term growth because like we said no tax implications on withdrawal so you're in retirement you can buy that car you're not affecting your income tested benefits you know you get a strata bill or something thing you need fixed in your house you can do that without a problem you can go on a vacation pull some money out of there but what's missed, I feel, is using them for short-term goals too. And what I mean by that is not everyone is going to be in the place where they can max out their TFSA every year, right? We just don't all have that available cash flow on a day-to-day basis. So what I think people tend to do is they they tend to get Focused on using this for the one purpose, like, oh, I've put my GICs in there, or oh, I'm using it for my retirement. Well, if you have room available and you have something that you need to work towards, you can do it by maybe opening a second TFSA. Say, this is my long term retirement focused TFSA. It's going to be high growth, maximum earnings potential in there. And there. here's my second TFSA. And I'm going to use that one for this midterm goal that I have.
2: Well, yeah, you can have more than one TFSA. You just can't have them aggregate together to exceed that maximum threshold. So you can have like 40k in one 40,000 change in another one. And you're okay.
1: That's so important. So we always m- tell people to make sure if you have TFSAs in multiple places, number one, it's usually better to have all your TFSAs at the same financial institution because you want your advisor to be able to track that contribution room for you. Trust me, you don't want to be sitting down with your pen or your pencil kind of trying to figure it out yourself, even though um, you can get that information through your MyCRA account online as well, but they may be delayed. I've seen them be a little bit behind in some cases. So you really do have to know your numbers or have someone track it for you.
2: Exactly. And it's tracking the money you put in. It's not tracking whatever growth happens on top of that because you're allowed to only put in so much, but it can grow as much as possible. And sometimes it gets harder for some people to track, okay, what was growth and what was my contribution here? Especially when you've got multiple accounts running.
1: That's right. And that's a good point too. Well, and when you're using your TFSA towards a goal specifically, it has a really neat feature in there where once you've accomplished what you're trying to set out to do within your contribution limit. So let's say you had to save $20,000 for something you wanted to do. Maybe it was a reno, maybe it's a car purchase, whatever it might be. And you've hit your goal, you've saved your 20 grand, you're ready to take it out. Now for the rest of the year, your contribution room does not change. It's going to stay the same, but the following year, so the year after your withdrawal, it resets on January 1st and that $20,000 of contribution room that you might've taken out of your TFSA is now readily available again for you to put the money back in. So that's why I think they can be great for short to midterm goals as well. Um, The only time that I think that maybe they're a little bit less efficient is if you have a very, very short term goal that requires you to keep the money in cash or in a GIC, that can be an underutilization of the account in my mind, just because the pennies that you're going to earn in interest really don't help you get ahead over the long term and honestly we've seen some banks and credit unions if your savings account at the bank doesn't pay out interest over a certain dollar amount they don't even give you a tax slip right so it can be a bit of a moot point
2: well exactly well there's the two carriers I can think of were one of them for the high interest savings It's like 0.25% interest rate. And the other one is 1.25. But again, both of those are falling pretty far behind what you can get with like a seg fund. So you, you do lose some growth. You're just kind of using it for like a quick, I'm going to hold, put the money here for two months kind of thing and then dump it.
1: Right. So just to do our quick recap, how it's taxed, no tax deductions up front, no tax on growth, no tax on withdrawal. So like I said, hugely, hugely, hugely efficient and what to use them for. Honestly, pretty well anything. If you have the room, just make sure that you're balancing your short and midterm goals. And if you run into a situation where you're low on contribution room, Focus on the thing that has the maximum growth potential. Usually that's long-term goals or using these as a supplementary retirement planning investment account.
2: Yeah, exactly. And like on the investment side, I like kind of putting the higher risk stuff in there because you're not going to affect your RSPE late down the road. You're going to have some good growth and gains, which again, won't trigger your tax. So things that are more like higher, higher equity segments, that kind of thing usually do pretty well in terms of strategy with the TFSA, trying to be more conservative with your RSP, But then you've got your third option, which I think we should go into now, the non-registered. So where the RSP is sort of like the set it and forget it, the non-registered is a bit more technical in terms of how you can use it and how it's affected by taxes.
1: Yeah. So think of your non-registered savings as literally everything else. Think of it as a not the type account. And what I mean by that is it's not an RSP, It's not a TFSA. So if it's, it's not a
2: LIF, it's not a RIF, it's not a Lira, it's all the other ones you can th- think of. There's that big pool of the various ones, and then there's just non-registered.
1: Yeah. So if it's not specifically registered, so it's right in the name, it's not a whatever, then it's a non-registered account. So typically, like. The most common example would be if you have a savings account at the bank, so it's just a savings account, it's not a TFSA, it's not an RSP. you already have a non-registered account. You probably just didn't know it. And what's missing in a lot of cases here is most people think, oh, I have a savings account at the bank. Okay, you know, I'm going to save a couple bucks here, there, everywhere. But um, non-registered accounts have a much wider application as investment accounts as well. So rather than just like we said, using it for GICs, using it for savings, which of course has its place for shorter term stuff. But you could be missing out long-term on some great growth or gains if all you're doing is stacking all your cash in these non-registered savings accounts at the bank and not really using them as non-registered investment accounts to hold other types of assets.
2: Okay, so with non-registered accounts, it's not like an RRSP where you just get your marginal tax rate. It, it there's a few different things going on here, right? You got capital gains, you've got dividend, and you got some other stuff going on, right?
1: Yeah, so let's let's kind of start at the beginning. Let's look at the the how they're taxed overall and we'll compare it to those same three things that we've looked at for the tax-free and for the RSP. so when you're looking at how they're taxed you want to look at upfront so no reduction of your taxable income on deposit and no refunds nothing like that but this is the big kicker here where the other two types that we've talked about have tax deferral at minimum or no tax uh, on a year-to-year basis a non-registered account is taxed throughout so basically Every year that you have money in a non-registered tax account, expect a tax slip and expect that you're going to have to add growth or gains to your income tax when you file. So there are immediate tax implications on an annual and reoccurring basis. And this is why some people don't like these as much or see them as a last resort type account and what i mean by that is you use them after you've maxed out the other two or like we said hit your never exceed limit on your rsp and maxed out your tfsa and finally when you need cash there could be another tax bill there as well you are taxed on withdrawal so understanding what you're putting into a non-registered account becomes much, much, much more important than, say, an RSP or a TFSA, just because that's flowing through to your taxes every single year. So you're going to have to be careful or at least use a little bit more strategy and decide what to put in there so that you can take advantage of some of the different ways things are taxed.
2: So that's sort of the setup, but so how does capital gains work with the non-registered?
1: So capital gains is a preferred or preferential tax treatment based on certain assets. And what I mean by that, for a lot of people, it's either stocks, so you're investing in publicly traded companies, or funds, where the funds are investing in stocks, publicly traded companies for you. Uh, Capital gains can, of course, apply to other things like investment properties, anything along those lines as well. But what a capital gain really is, is it looks at what you've paid for that asset. And they have a wonderfully fancy term called the adjusted cost base, which is basically your dollars in, adjusted for any other outlays or expenses that are associated to that particular asset and then the growth on top of that is what's taxed so you look at your sell price you look at your buy price you look at any adjustments in there and the remainder is what's called your capital gain that was probably way too complicated of an explanation yeah, well, uh-
2: <laughs> we can look at it this way. So let's say you have $1,000. You invest $1,000 and at the end you've got $1,100. So you have a $100 capital gain and then you cut that in half. So then the half of that is what's taxed at your marginal tax rate, right?
1: That was much better. Thank you so much. Yes. So I would say the First step is finding out what the capital gains inclusion rate is. So, the 50% that you mentioned is what it is currently. And that's something that the governments can change down the road. It's a matter of policy. So, it's (laughs) keep an eye on the federal budgets as they kind of roll out over time to see if there's any changes to the capital gains inclusion rate. Or just, you know, you look it up online, it's pretty easy to find.
2: Worst case, just yell at your MP about it. Yeah,
1: exactly. But really what it means, and you nailed it there, Cameron, is that only half of the gain that you make is taxable at your tax rate. So that's an advantage, right? Even though you're paying taxes every year, you're still only paying tax on half of the profit you made.
2: Exactly. You're not paying tax on, let's say, that thousand dollars you invested in to start with.
1: And that's not the case with an RSP. On the RSP, if you took that thousand dollars and you made a hundred bucks on it, your hundred dollars is fully taxable at your marginal tax rate. So you're not getting that 50 percent discount, which is really what the capital gains rate and the inclusion rate is in this particular scenario.
2: Well, and technically with an RSP you are actually getting taxed on the whole 1100.
1: <laughs> yes, oh absolutely. that's a very good point. If you took it all out, definitely.
2: Well, capital gains is one part of the taxation, but there's something else we have to deal with too in non registers, whether you are just owning stocks outright, but then you can also apply to like a SEG funds kind of depending on the carrier, and that is taxes on dividends.
1: Oh, yeah. Dividends are very popular or stocks that uh, pay dividends are very popular just because you get that yield from the dividend and you get the growth, uh, the increase in the actual underlying asset. Whereas with other stocks that are not dividend paying, you're only getting the growth. So the the appreciation of the stock or the company that you've bought stock in.
2: Yeah, and that appreciation is fluid and it doesn't really impact you until you sell the stock or the share of the seg fund, whereas dividend is just cash in your hand, or you can turn into a drip and get more stock if you're doing that route, or if it's in a seg fund, it just gets rolled into your unit value.
1: Well, and that's that's kind of the most important point here. In a lot of cases, it's kind of done or decided for you. If you're investing in a segregated fund, if you're investing in a mutual fund, the majority of these providers, what they're going to do is they're going to pull that back into the fund. And remember, you don't own the stock outright, you only own units in that fund. So the dividend goes back into the fund, and the fund manager is going to do what they see is appropriate, but there is a flow through. Of any income that's been realized in that fund whether through trading whether through dividends whether through the fund manager doing buys or sells through an annual basis so that's definitely something to be aware of on your non registered contracts as well it's not only just the money that you've made in the year it's any decisions that the person managing that particular fund has made for you throughout the year as well that can show up on your tax slips and I think that can surprise people especially when they've opened a non-registered account for the first time and they're not used to that extra taxation and I would say too because you're kind of getting in the pool with everyone else who's already a unit holder in a fund there could have been a lot going on in years prior. So maybe there have been gains that have accrued over the years and the year you buy is the year the fund manager sells an asset that could trigger a larger capital gain than maybe you've personally realized because you haven't been in that fund for that whole period of time.
2: Yeah. And something else to be aware of with the dividend taxes, it does vary by the country of origin of the company. So you actually get a cheaper dividend tax rate if it's a Canadian company than you do if it's an American or a foreign one.
1: Yeah. And that's um, a good segue into something called the gross up, right? Because if you are receiving income tested benefits, or if you're just kind of wanting to be aware of what's going on in your tax return on an annual basis the way dividends work in canada is they're actually divided into two different categories there's something called eligible dividends and there's something else called non-eligible dividends and if you're investing in publicly traded corporations which is pretty well what we're talking about in this context you're, those dividends are most commonly eligible dividends the other type non-eligible is typically if you own shares in a private canadian controlled company so they're called canadian controlled private corps ccpcs um they're called small business or non-eligible dividends. But for our purposes, what happens is the dividend that's received, and this could apply to you, let's say you own stock outright. Let's say you haven't gone the fund route. You're you're just owning your stock yourself and you're collecting these dividends. Let's say you're getting them paid out to you as they're accruing. So every quarter you're receiving some dividends in your bank account your taxes, they're going to have that gross up. And the gross up percentage right now is 138%. So while dividend paying stocks and dividend paying funds can have many great advantages, you do have to be aware of how they can impact your tax return. And so that's something that we always encourage people just to understand what is the mix in their personal portfolios
2: Okay. That's two tax things down. We got uh, one more to touch for non-registered. Uh, let's talk about interest income. Uh, this isn't so much for like uh, equity holdings, but this is more for people going the GIC route with non-registered.
1: Or bonds. I mean, or fixed, bo- yeah. fixed income bonds, can have fixed income, interest income as well.
2: Or the people, there are there are some people who do the high interest also. So yeah, the things that you're expecting not to have a lot of growth in essentially. <laughs>
1: right and they're the least efficiently taxed so they are a hundred percent taxable so what does that mean the interest that you've earned on your gic 100 percent of that income is going to flow through to your tax return now with the gic depending on how you have your gic set up it might be deferred until the gic matures in some cases that's how it's done uh, it's less likely that you're going to see it every single year but still just be aware that at some point in time, there will be some interest income that you will owe on that holding.
2: Well, exactly. Kind of go back to our old example. If you put $1,000 into a GIC, you get $150 in return. That $150 is 100%
1: taxable. That's right. Well, and it's it's kind of funny to think, right? When you think about portfolio composition. And when you think about people's risk profiles, a lot of people have a mix of all these different assets. And it's kind of like on a range of a scale where unfortunately, the lower or more conservative or less volatile investments like the GICs are taxed the least efficiently. And the funds that maybe have more stock which would be maybe a little bit higher or medium on the risk profile, have more access to capital gains inclusion rates, which might be taxed a little bit more efficiently. So that's something to keep in mind as well. It's kind of not all equal. So if you have a low risk profile, by all means, continue to invest in your GICs. I mean, the flip side to that is that at this stage anyways, the interest income that you're earning is is fairly low so the tax implications are low and of course in the future as interest rates go higher your interest will be a little bit more but it's still less gains than you would expect in say stock right so it's as you're changing those asset classes or as you're purchasing funds just ask the questions of the person that you're working with How is this going to be taxed? How is this going to affect me? And like I said before, nowhere is this more important than in a non-registered portfolio because the tax implications are immediate. They're not down the road.
2: So going over all that, what is some of your favorite times to actually use the non-registered account? Because we have lots of clients with non-registered, including some of our more high net worth ones, and there are some good advantages. So what are some of your favorite scenarios to use the non-registered?
1: Oh, sure. So non-registered accounts are great when you've maxed out the TFSA. And like I said, depending on whether you're working or not, maybe maxed out the RSP or hit your never exceed line on that. So we see them used a lot. Like, let's say someone sells their house and they're downsizing and they've maxed out that TFSA. Where does the rest of the money go? Well, it's going to go into a non-registered account. So these are kind of the accounts that are used by default in a lot of cases, because in my mind, they're going to be secondary every single time to a tax-free savings account because you can't beat not getting taxed.
2: Well, exactly. And another strategy we've seen, uh, depending on the carrier, of course, but you can actually have a scheduled withdrawal system set up. So you can essentially use a non-registered as like a do-it-yourself riff. Without the tax benefits, but at least you can have that schedule payout coming to you every single month throughout your retirement.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, some people will kind of create their own pensions. Some people will kind of create their own cash flow using these larger pools of money. Typically, if you've got a lot of money in excess, you're thinking maybe a little bit more legacy. So there's some planning that we can do down the road there for people that are looking to transfer or transition this to their kids where they might say, I want to pay most of the taxes spread that out through the years during my lifetime as opposed to my estate getting hit with this massive tax bill at the very end, which can happen with an RSP, right? If it's not managed correctly. So there are some there are some kind of pros and cons there.
2: Or another thing you look at is, especially with the estate planning thing, is having your non registered ready to go to your inheritors, but having something like your TFSA to kind of cover the tax bill also. And try and start mixing and matching these accounts.
1: Absolutely. Any good uh, estate planning is going to have an estimate of what you're going to owe overall. So that'll include, yeah, taxes, it'll include probate fees, it'll include lawyer fees, accountant fees, things like that. And something, money's got to come from somewhere, right? So it's just making sure that there's enough money available to the estate that um, if an asset has to be sold, the taxes can be paid, but that's, that's a topic for a whole other day.
2: Well, that kind of leads me to, okay, so we've kind of gone through these three different contract types. What are some good ways to either mix and match, or what are some good scenarios where you've got multiple ones running at once?
1: Sure. So let's say I'm working and I just got a lump sum of money. Now, if it's taxable, so let's say you got it from work. Uh, you'd be looking at the RSPs first, especially if there's a tax implication in that money that you've received. You're going to want to knock that down for the year. But then once that's taken care of, TFSA is next. And then if there's any left, that's when it would go into a non-registered. So like I said, you're going to see non-registered kind of as my last last case scenario down the road now if it's an inheritance that you've received and the estate has paid the tax on all of this and you're receiving it tax free then tfsa first absolutely then look at the non-registered account and of course if you're still working and you wanted to hit that uh, rsp as well for a specific amount you can throw that in there too so basically what i'm trying to say is you use tax deferred or tax free accounts first, so I would say tax free account first, tax deferred account second, and then the non-registered after that. Um, The only time in my mind that the order flips is when you're really focusing on retirement planning, then you're going to look at that RSP first. Right. But that should be part of your day to day, month to month, year to year anyways. So once that's kind of automated and you set it and forget it, that's when you're really looking at using the TFSAs for longer or short term goals or even midterm goals. And then the non-registered after the TFSA is maxed out. And i always say to people because sometimes people will come and they'll say i don't really have a specific goal to work towards right now you know i'm i'm comfortable with where i'm living i've got the vehicle that i'm comfortable with i have maybe a vacation fund set up already that's all taken care of what should i do and if someone's still in the working stage after they have an emergency fund set up i like to set retirement as their default goal because once you have more money in play, and that happens by starting early, by doing what you can well when you can, not necessarily trying to hit these huge numbers right off the bat, but just being consistent over the years, it's going to give you more options later on. And by more options, I mean maybe early retirement comes onto the table. Maybe you have more flexibility if you're in a work situation that you don't like or that's changed. You might be feel more comfortable changing that scenario, going somewhere else, going back to school, changing the narrative, if you know that retirement is going to be taken care of. So I always like to set that as people's de facto goals. But again, that's that's a little bit off topic. I suppose um, what I would say to people is lead it with your personal goals. So find out what you're working towards, what's important for you to achieve, both in the short term, the midterm and the long term, and then come up with a plan, a strategy for these different types of accounts that plays to each of these goals. And then like we'd said, maybe you want to set up multiple accounts within these different registration types to accomplish these goals just so that it's not like you're throwing money into this giant pot and it kind of disappears. It's you can track the progress of each goal through the associated account that you're using to save towards that goal. So that's something that we like to look at too. And of course, if you're in the BC area and you're looking for a little bit of advice that's kind of specific to your scenario. Feel free to hit us up. You can give us a call. You can uh, find us online at Braun Financial. That's BraunFinancial.com. Send us an email. The uh, email's on the website there. We're always happy to hear from people and uh, provide some insight there. So if you have any questions that are specifically related to you, that's where we give advice. I mean, everything we talk about here is pretty general, right? So what do we have? We probably need a disclaimer on this. Use it at your own risk. But, um, But really, information is free. Knowledge is incredibly valuable. And it's much more valuable when it's specific to you. So like I said... Feel free to reach out to us. And until then, take care and all the best.
0: In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's there's a time frame there.